Kiwa. It's Zach Linkley-Chi-Chi. I'm so popular. We are back today uh, for a very special episode um, discussing the wonderful film Aino Korida, or In the Realm of the Senses by Oshima Nagisa and one of my favorite albums ever made, Deep River by Utari Hikaru. And I am joined by a really, really wonderful guest. Who are you? Hi, I'm Zane. Hey, Zane. What are you doing? Hey, Zach. I'm just sitting on the bed, um, thumbing through these Deep River translations that you sent me. Beautiful. Um, and why do you follow me? Well, <clears throat> your tweets, obviously. Uh, but <laughs> what, uh, what really, really struck me is that um, I clicked on your profile one day, and your old header that was... Uh, uh, you, I think you were wearing a beret and uh-huh. smoking a cigarette. You look just like this girl that I used to date. <gasps> oh, you know the way right to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I just had to, I had to learn more about this uh, beautiful cross-dressing man. Thank you. That was that picture has a, a backstory. That was um when actually we were shooting some promotional photos for the snack bar I used to host us at. And um, mm-hmm. we were in Nagoya uh, for about seven hours, like walking around, taking pictures, like shooting stuff. And um, that's one of my favorite pictures of me ever taken. Uh, I love Great that. Pick. I love that my hand is like enormous and manly in it as well <laughs> as I'm like clutching the cigarette. But yeah. um, one of the photos from that day, they like blew up to a, um, maybe like a five foot portrait and it still hangs oh. up in that bar in, in Nagoya. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's cool that they actually um, would use you in the promotions. Like you actually work there. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I was here. on the, the billboards as well. Um, they oh. had, they had one billboard and they had a, um, a huge canvas, like a sign that was like a, uh, you know, pretty enormous. And I, there's a, a picture of a me on there and around it in Japanese Japanese it says a Nagu no Topu Drag Queen like the top <gasps> drag queen so it's very cute. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, somewhere like in the a... world there's like ephemeral like uh items of you know Zach Lee Chi Chi just floating around and like one day someone will just come across them. Yep. Gotta get gotta get the Zach merch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, Zane, the reason I was introduced to you was uh, your beautiful TPN appearances, of which there are uh, many, both this season and previously. I found you so articulate and uh, heartfelt, and it's been really lovely getting to know you over our uh, little DMs from time to time, and having you in the gay group chat is especially a, a wonderful touch, and I... You know, sometimes I get a little pessimistic about the internet and these uh, relationships we forge, but I I feel very fortunate that it can still manage to churn out wonderful little friendships like ours. Oh, that's so sweet, Zach. I feel the exact same way. It's a heart. Oh, it's very very cold internet, but uh, we find our we find our little corners. We do. Um, you also have a very charming accent. You're very handsome. One of the most handsome guests to take the I'm So Popular stage so far. And oh. uh, I love the idea that you're just like, you know, 
you're doing like your little like UPS job and like Ooh. driving these like, trucks around, uh, like listening to uh, these experimental <laughs> art podcasts. Uh, and uh, I, I love all the little peeks into your life that we get. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Um, though. Thank you for saying that though. It's, I just got over COVID and I feel like my voice sounds really weird. So thank you for saying that. You know, I don't think so at all, but um, you know, Jack always asks this on, on his show and I find that I do as well, but how did you get wrapped up into this whole universe? Um, let's see. Well, I mean, this is, this is a similar pipeline that a lot of people have, I guess. Uh, I was listening to come down and then red scare and then TPN and then I'm so popular. Oh, and yeah yeah just being on twitter um and and getting so gracefully invited into these circles very very cool very very just random i mean i never thought like when i first got on twitter i was just like following baseball stuff and uh yeah didn't expect to find any friends or anything like that but here we are <laughs> just, just baseball tweets and now you yeah. have to talk about <laughs> japanese erotic cinema and a pop record from like 20 years ago <laughs> yeah yeah this album that i never would have heard of if not for you thank you very no, much it's my pleasure but you also have like a, a really like refined um sense of pop music i was blown away the first time that we were like chatting about um bad mode uh which i i heard that you listened to and uh, after mm-hmm. like going through like our mutual taste in music i was shocked that you have like virtually like um the same like emotional like sparkling electronic pop interest that i do yeah yeah not a lot of people do for some reason they just kind of stick to one or two things but i like a lot of different stuff so how did you like develop your music palette? Like how did it get to the point it's at now? Um, so uh, my parents were both rockers. And so I uh, started with like classical rock and grunge and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I always had like um, an ear for 80s pop and jack talks about this all the time but it was like really unfashionable for a long time to be into anything from the 80s Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it would be like embarrassing to listen to like i don't know new order or um yaz or uh pet shop boys or something but i always liked it so i kind of just would explore that kind of stuff privately and uh uh, occasionally, like there would be stuff that would be mainstream that was kind of '80s flavored, like uh, uh, "Love Angel Music Baby." I've loved that album since it came out, and your episode on that was great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, stuff like that, and then um, so with the rock thing, I, you know, you want to you want to find more extreme stuff as you get older, so. Got into metal after that. I played in the orchestra uh, when I was in school. I played the bass. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just spent all my time on YouTube and Wikipedia, just getting into portals, listening to all kinds of weird shit. Yeah, that's exactly kind of my rabbit hole as well. I feel like um, you have to have, like, a parent or, like, 
um, mentoring figure who has yes. like a, a yes. taste for real artistry. And mm-hmm. my mother is obsessed with obscure folk music. Um, and <laughs> she was like a committee member on my little town's uh, annual folk festival. And she used to be a judge on their songwriting contest. So uh, having my mom like be into like really like artisanal and, um, you know, very elaborate and uh, sort of like, you know, deeply artistic like music in its own way and inspired me to do the same. Yeah, no, my mom would like drill me about Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and stuff. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I mean, yeah. And then you, when you what you said about like oh once you hear something extreme you like just want to like keep like going like further mm-hmm. down and yeah uh, and, and sometimes not even because you like it just because it's like wow this is uh, maybe not something I would like you know just listen to but uh, you want to know how far people can take it yeah know? no that's exactly right I think people have this aversion to um, music where they imagine they have to like everything they're hearing and like mm-hmm. it has to be pleasurable oh, they, but they have to they have to really like the lyrics too and that was something that never really mattered to me because i always for some reason found rock singers hard to understand like i never knew what they were saying if i was going to sing along to it it would just be me like saying nonsense words but you know to the rhythm or whatever and so, yeah. yeah, that was that was that was part of what, like, just thinking of a voice as an instrument rather than saying something. So that made it easier to get into more extreme stuff. Totally, I think um, I was very blessed that I got into Bjork when I was like in high school, as you know, many homosexual mm. men do. And once mm-hmm. you can kind of her like most useful function is like a a mold breaker that lets you listen to more challenging stuff that like isn't so friendly after that and like once you can kind of like swallow the way she sounds like you can go into so much like deeper more interesting stuff yeah that's true um i actually got into bjork like not that long ago probably in my mid-20s and uh uh, yeah, I mean, I would have liked it if I had had gotten into her earlier, but for some reason, she just kind of escaped me. Um, I listened to the Biophilia album when it first came out. And oh wow! That, that 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 was like my first exposure to Bjork. That is like one of her like most difficult albums to sit through. It is, but that's like that's what I liked about it. It me was too. hard to sit through. And then um, what was the song? It was. Uh, it was what is that song? The one that has like the gabber, the the drum and bass thing at the end. Uh, oh God, I haven't listened to that album in forever. I can't even remember. The only song I can good. remember it is like Mutual Core off <laughs> my off the top of my head. Oh, Crystalline, that's the song. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and love that I she did to... that like that dumb app for it as well. And she's like, "This is an iPad." Oh album. yeah. Oh God, yeah. That that stuff was stupid. <laughs> Just absurd. I mean, I, I admire it, but yeah, yeah, totally, totally um, not Lindy. And she's like, I'm going to play a Tesla coil. <laughs> like, oh, no. It's so, I mean, I love how stupid it is. And she's always like, um, it's always funny to me, like, just how, like, uh, up her own ass she gets. Like, um, mm-hmm. especially, like, on her most recent two albums, like, uh, 
Vonacura and Utopia. Like, she is just, like, shoving her head as far up as she can get. And she's, like, <laughs> imagining, like, islands full of only women as she's, like, doing bird song mm-hmm. and, like, healing. But, I don't know, the way she commits to it is so beautiful, I can never get over it. Yeah, I admire it. The only time I could ever listen to Utopia is if I was, like, on mushrooms or something. <laughs> the first time I ever heard it was on Thanksgiving when I was in college, and I had just smoked a bunch of my mom's weed, and I, like, sat mm-hmm. up straight, just, like, staring at the Spotify screen as it was, like, playing in front of me. And I'm, like, deeply bonded with that album now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It, like, really touched my soul. Um but no, I, I, that's how I feel about Japanese music as well. And a lot of people struggle to listen to it because of, you know, the lyrics. Um, and uh, I kind of, like, forced myself to be into it. And people don't have a lot of respect for disciplining yourself into liking something. Like, you just have to learn <laughs> enough about it and be open enough that you can enjoy things that initially you wouldn't be able to. Exactly. Yeah, and that's... Um, so when I first heard Bad Mode... Um, that one just clicked with me right off the bat, every mm-hmm. single song. But when you uh, when you told me you wanted to do this episode, I had never heard Deep River before. So uh, I listened to the whole thing cover to cover um, on my drive home from East Texas, and it just it did not did not penetrate uh-huh. until until um, and so I was listening to the Spotify version, which has uh, simple and clean at the end of it. Ah, uh, in English. And, and <clears throat> in English, yeah. And so I had no idea that that was the Kingdom Hearts song until, uh, because see, I never even played the game, so I just have like this perfect little memory of seeing the trailer play and having no idea what the game was. It just was this really, um, and I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, it's just a just a perfectly preserved memory from my childhood of having a like cursory interest in the game but never actually playing it it just looked cool but i always remembered that that song was in the trailer and never you know it was just it was kind of just the chorus i think that was in the trailer Mm -hmm. and never knowing what that song was just knowing the words and as soon as i heard the full song man i just started bawling behind the wheel beautiful yeah yeah i was like okay now i get it yeah so yeah i I immediately i immediately played it from the beginning again the whole the whole album yeah simple and clean and uh the japanese version like hikari are are one of her best songs ever and uh i i don't know i i i think like i also kind of uh went back to her because of like kingdom hearts but i love the idea that it's just like uh a kind of like loose memory to you because I think that's the the way Kingdom Hearts should be preserved as like as a loose combination of um aesthetics and then nothing specific because once you pilot a little bit too deep into the plot of those games or anything they become <laughs> something entirely different but like the surface of right, it is yeah, gorgeous that's, that's that's why I never even sought out the song or anything because I liked the song don't get me wrong it's just uh the memory was of it being uh, in a game trailer. So that's not something that, you know, you find a lot of replay value in is watching a trailer, you know? But yeah, no, that that was just uh, something buried in my psyche that I thought about from time to time, but didn't, didn't ever have any intention uh, 
uh, of seeking out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the reason that I wanted to discuss Deep River and uh, in the realm of the senses is I have been thinking a lot about love and relationships recently. Um, I, I discussed love previously this season when I talked about um, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but, you know, the year has gone by, and, uh, you know, I'm in a different relationship than I was, you know, this time last year, and uh, I've been very, like, flummoxed and a little puzzled about uh, exactly how one feels love at all. I have no idea how to define it. I'm very lost about it. And uh, these two movies, this movie and this album are uh, two projects that have kind of given me some mode of thinking about it in in the very least. And the the first of those that we're going to talk about is, as I mentioned earlier, In the Realm of the Senses. Uh, It's from 1976, directed by Oshima Nagisa. And I first saw this movie actually with my ex-boyfriend uh he threw up after the movie because he was so <gasps> disgusted he like wow. retched onto the street <laughs> outside of the theater um but i was of course really instantly taken um in short the movie follows a former prostitute turned maid uh, abe sada who uh begins a extremely passionate and very brief uh, sexual love affair uh with kichi-chan and their uh, few weeks together are extremely passionate in ways almost never seen before on film. Uh, the sex is all un- unsimulated. It- it's real, and it's uh, a really bizarre and enchanting viewing experience. But I'm, I'm curious what your uh, first thoughts about this movie are, Zane. Um, well, I've owned the Blu-ray for years, but never got around to watching it. I guess I was kind of scared of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hear accounts of people being just so disgusted by it, and um, it was what, was it banned in Japan for like a long time? Yeah, it was never actually properly released until very recently. Um, I mean, I think they did like a few like kind of pornographic uh, like pinku screenings of it in the seventies, but um, only until very recently did it actually. Uh, show here on kind of a more mainstream, like, artistic uh, uh, circuit. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, I watched it for the first time this week. Um, I didn't find it very sexy, but it is, like, a a sublime and transcendent portrayal of uh, of love, and it's a true story, too. Um, it is based based on real people in the 30s right Mm -hmm. pre-war japan yeah yeah and uh i mean it's in that way it's um i don't know i don't want to say like a fairy tale but it it has some uh some pretty fantastical stuff in it like when (laughs) when uh Oh, I don't even know where to begin, honestly. No, I don't either. It's, it's it, it, <laughs> it's spellbinding. <laughs> it's it, it's spellbinding. Like, I I completely understand how you feel about this, especially after rewatching it last night, because this movie is so 
incredible for just how much it rakes out of the human experience. It feels like so complex and full of depth and there's millions of layers that seem to be shifting and shuffling uh, with each passing second but almost the entirety of the film is these two people naked lying around together and having sex and like I'm I'm not exaggerating that is easily 95% of the film's content yeah having geishas come in and out of the room um, other maids just kind of hanging out watching them um, yeah, uh, depositing sake, complaining about the scent of the room, um, <laughs> yeah. asking if they can clean it. Um, yeah, it, it really is like this deeply like private movie. Um, and I, I've always really loved Oshima for being like kind of a almost like Nazi formalist when it comes to his filmmaking. Uh, he has like used like these tracking shots that uh, were previously never touched. Uh, in any cinematic world at all. Uh, And when he kind of applies it here, there's, like, a great stress between kind of his, like, formal restraint and, like, his uh, love for, you know, articulate shot composition, Mm -hmm. along with, like, the total, like, unpredictable, like, world of of these two people wrapped up in each other. Yeah, I mean, they're not just having sex. They, you know, they kind of ramp it up each time until it gets really violent yeah that's definitely one of the big through lines is that like it begins um not necessarily innocently because uh you know kichi-san is uh, cheating on his wife with her mm-hmm. um there is always like kind of like a stink of malaise and like disapproval over everything um mm-hmm. but it becomes like more like rotten and violent and perverse like with each like sequential sex scene Yep, yep. In particular, the one that sticks out to me is uh, when they're eating. And I don't remember what it is that he's eating exactly, but he picks it up with his chopsticks, holds it up to her crotch, and like dips it into her crotch and then eats it. The egg, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he puts a whole egg. Um, <laughs> it's like, what is it, like hard-boiled or something? Uh-huh. He puts a hard-boiled egg inside of her, which and all of this we see, like they actually do it. Hard-boiled egg inside of her makes her like lay it as a as a bird would, and then he eats it. Yeah, he just swallows the egg. (laughs) It's incredible. I mean, the the idea that this came out like in 1976 is really fitting because I. I've been thinking a lot about the 70s and I usually kind of imagine it as like this like haze of like cocaine and like distantly like bizarre esoteric like rituals going on everywhere is like the world is like beginning to kind of unfurl into this like sex haze of uh, Mm -hmm. liberation. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, produced and funded by a French studio. uh, And I love the idea that like... um, these French people, like, funded Oshima enough money. Uh, I think it was also shot in France as well. Like, they shot it all on, a, like, sound stages in, in France. But um, I, I love the idea that, like, these, like, French, like, astetes, like, had to, like, uh, put this money in so that Oshima could, like, do, like, the vaginal egg eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if it grossed the French out. I mean, d- did it gross you out? How did you feel watching that? 
No, it didn't gross me out, but it wasn't it wasn't sexy to me. Um, like I understood that it was, uh, or not understood. I mean, it was it was a uh, it was a very touching portrayal of their love, but it didn't it didn't turn me on. No, yeah, I felt the same way. Like I had like you know I was like back from the bar and I was like rewatching this and was like like distantly horny as you know one is after a few drinks and then. Sure. I was, you know, remembering how beautiful, like, uh, Kichi is in, in uh, the, the male figure in this relationship. And I was surprised to find myself also completely unsexually stimulated, but rather, like, just raked across with, like, how touching, like, their passion is for one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're so into each other. And it starts out as uh, uh, she's... Um she's being a maid she's scrubbing the floors and he's uh he's like coming up behind her and like he says oh what a great view and she's all <laughs> shy at first you know <clears throat> and then uh but yeah slowly she she gets into it and then she becomes a lot more wild and obsessive than he is because eventually he has to go back to his wife um and perform his duties there but uh, yeah, she's she's still very possessive of him. And uh, there's this there's this scene that I really like that he's um, right before they have to part and he has to go back to his wife. She like threatens to cut his dick off with some scissors uh, if he if he has sex with his wife and he promises that he won't do it. But eventually, he, so when he goes back to his wife, they're having sex and. He hears something behind him, and uh, he just immediately, like reflexively, out of fear of this woman, uh, breaks a window with his bare hand and uh, has to inspect who it was behind him. And you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that that's um, an expression of pa- like passion, you know, fear, but it's part of it. Uh, it's part of it in this story because you realize that even though um, Sada loves him and loves having sex with him, obviously she uh, is validated in in wanting to cut this guy up in, yeah. in their passion. It's fascinating. I feel like what really makes all of like that relationship so you know, real and so compelling is is just exactly for what you said. Like, it displays, like, the consuming passion of both of them in all of these ways that feel really familiar to anyone who's, like, an emotional person. But Mm -hmm. you never, like, see, like, depicted, like, the fear between them is, like, really palpable as well. Yeah, yeah. I always think about, um, like whenever they have to, like, leave each other, like, when she has to go, like, prostitute herself out to, like, the mm-hmm. school principal or, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, the moments before they, like, leave each other, like, you can, like, really see, like, this uh, almost, like, existential terror in their eyes because uh, they've, like, so, like, sunk their world into one another's that, like, the absence of, uh, of one person is enough to feel like your existence is being threatened somehow. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's only been a couple weeks, but they've already got this whole routine, not even a routine, like, their whole existence is each other, like, 
straddling each other, being just touching each other at all times. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like, um, it's funny to me that people are like disgusted and horrified by this. And like, I think about my ex-boyfriend barfing after this all the time. Um, yeah, he barfed, man. That's crazy. Yeah. He was like dizzy and he, I was like, are you okay? And he like literally like crouched down and like, like retched onto the sidewalk. <laughs> See, I, I, like the gore in this is the least um, visceral part because it's like that 70s paint blood, you know? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look real at all. No, I think the reason he said he was disgusted was not because of the violence, but he he was very opposed to these people's relationship. He said that they were like animalistic and disgusting and that there was no difference between them and apes. Wow. Okay, so let me ask you this: uh-huh. Did w- were there any similar uh, similarities between their relationship and your relationship with this man? No, it was exactly the opposite. I mean, if you could like cast uh, like a negative image of this film, it would have looked like my relationship with my ex boyfriend. Wow. So okay. I think it, it makes sense why it was like so shocking for him, but. Um, it, it really like revealed a, a deep like difference in our philosophies, I think. Um, because mm-hmm. I mean, he is right. Like they are basically like fucking apes by like uh, the midpoint of the movie. But mm-hmm. there's something so profound and aspirational there, don't you think? It, yeah, it's just it's just true. You know, it may not be sustainable because you know after a few weeks one of you might die but uh but it's true you know that is there there are there are moments where the passion is that real in in anyone's uh in in anyone's tr- like um healthy relationship you know mm-hmm. even if it's even if it's not to the point of this obsession like you're you're striving for something like that i would think it seems weird not to but i to think me. people really don't you know i think uh there's so many like devotional obsessions people have with uh, rules and the conduct of mm, your day-to-day yes. life that they could yes. never thrust themselves into this. I mean, the film is perfectly titled In the Realm of the Senses. They could never so thoroughly abandon uh, the horror and the monotony of, of daily life to so fully sink themselves in this universe. And I think that's kind of one of the major problems of our culture is like a fear of passion because once you've opened your soul into this like harrowing well, like you can, you can never get out. Like you can't go back once you tasted right. it, you know? And I, I think people are like deathly afraid of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. People are scared. Um, I don't even think of getting hurt. I mean, that's the easy answer, but yeah, they're afraid of, obsession and getting attached like mm-hmm. to even to even care about any any other person that much sometimes i see the way relationships are happening around me and i i find it deeply disturbing like um especially since i have so many straight friends like i look at their relationships sometimes and i feel like a, a, a fear about the progression of the universe because this realm that Oshima depicts so beautifully here just seems completely absent from any like touch of, of our current condition. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, any relationship I've ever had, like there was always work that comes up or, or school or something that always like keeps, um, keeps us up apart for, cause you know, these, these two, they live in that hotel basically or mm-hmm. that inn and like give all their time to each other. So real life here is like, there's always something that's going to keep you apart physically, like not just touch, but like you have to go do something else. Yeah. And so, um, I forgot where I was going with that. No, but I know exactly what you're saying. Like, of course, like the sensibilities of like being alive, like, of course you have to like go like make money and, uh, Uh you know, do the boring things that you have to do to, you know, continue earning a, a place on this earth. But it's so aspirational to imagine that you could like burn it all away and just totally evaporate into this world. Like I, I find it so beautiful. I want to do it. Yeah, no, like they, they, they really don't even have private lives because, you know, whenever she has to go with uh, the, uh, school principal or whatever he has to go back to his wife like as soon as they're back together they pretty much tell each other everything that transpired so not only are there no secrets but like they're just thinking about each other the whole time and that one moment when when he went back to his wife and just felt that fear like he was still like still obsessed with Sada but still has to maintain that front with his wife that uh that it's well i don't know that he's hiding it from her but you know that he still loves his wife yeah i i think what you said about them not having a private life whatsoever is like no so perfect like they have completely melted away all like borders of reality to just fully envelop their own beings with like that sensuality and I feel like people who are in in touch with their uh, libido and desires I I think like you and me like I feel Mm -hmm. like you have like that inspiration to be that passionate all the time like I mean I I at least know I do like I am constantly imagining like being able to do in the realm of the senses to like random passerbys on the train and what have you absolutely to see like those feelings made real and actualized by their like their commitment to each other is so incredible yeah yeah that's that's something that you know is aspirational you know it if that kind of thing lives in your mind and you just project it onto people onto passers-by like you said like it's it just gives you it's just yeah it gives you inspiration it does you you it gives you something to seek. It totally does. It, I mean, it's exactly that. It's it really is inspirational, which is why the amount of people who have, uh, you know, reviewed this as like being like repulsive or disgusting or calling these like people gross. It's like so foreign it's to just, me. Yeah, it's so they're just they're being very literal about it, and you know, it's not like a. It's it's not a movie without happy ending necessarily i mean they reach the logical conclusion of their obsession but you know she 
what, what did she stay with him uh, for? I wouldn't say a couple days after mm-hmm. uh, after after the end of it, and then they finally just locked her up. But you know, she was happy as a clam. I'm sure. Oh yeah, uh, and I mean, like you mentioned, this is based off a, a real woman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sada Abe, and uh, she actually became a, a local celebrity. Uh, because it was right going into the war after, like, she was, um, you know, released from, like, prison. And uh, she, like, wrote an autobiography and kind of became, like, a high society woman who was, like, um, sort of like the elephant man was, like, visited upon by people. <laughs> and, like, um, you know, people were, like, really riveted by her. And she kind of, uh, you know, got to, like, have this a fascinating life thereafter. And I find that really beautiful, too. Oh, I didn't know that about her. Um, <clears throat> did you Did you ever watch the the movie about her? Um, it's just called Sada. It's by um, one of my favorite Nobuhiku. directors. Yeah, Nobuhiko um, Obayashi. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet because uh, I've been I've been holding off on it. I love literally every single thing he's ever done, so I'm sure I'm gonna be obsessed with that too. Yeah, yeah, they were they had that on the Criterion Channel too. Uh, I was gonna watch it, I just didn't have time. No, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm wondering if if that goes into like her life after, that would be cool. I think it's quite stylized from from what I've heard. Um, but oh I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I want to cut someone's dick. Like what we've been kind of like dancing around <laughs> is that she like, castrates him like really viscerally at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, after and... after threatening to do it, and yeah, I mean she. She does it at the end, not because, um, you know, like like what happens earlier in the movie is she she's threatening to do it if he sleeps with his wife, but mm-hmm. that's not why it happens. It happens because she wants to do it, and that's, like I said before, that's the logical conclusion of of this obsession that they have with each other. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought about, like, the escalating violence. Like, what starts as, like, them just, like, in missionary, like, ends with them, like, constantly, like, choking one another. Yeah, choking each other. Cuckolding um, each other, putting things into, you know, their holes of all manner, and, you know, finally um, getting one's dick, like, sawed through with a mm-hmm. knife. Because it's yeah. not, like, a, you know, a little, like, clean little cut. It's, like, you can see her, like, putting effort into, like, cut through the dick with yeah. a knife. Yeah, yeah, she's sawing it, and it's not a, not like a serrated blade. No, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was wondering what you like thought about that and what it means for these people, and and we're so you know obsessed with their sensual world that they've made real. Like, what do you think it means exactly that it begins like reaching like these stages of violence as it goes on? Well, like, I think that. Once you've had sex with the same person for so many, or so many times, uh, me personally, I do kind of get like an anatomical interest in like what they what they look like um, naked, but you know, not necessarily in the act. So in the past, I've <laughs> this sounds really weird, but uh, I've just like you know i'll just get your face right up in their crotch and just stare you know yeah <laughs> pull some spread some stuff apart so just see what they look like uh-huh but but yeah when when i was doing it it wasn't like actually violent it was just i don't know um maybe i was just never with the same person long enough 
Yeah. Or probably just, you know, it obviously wasn't this level of fashion. I mean, it seems almost impossible to feel like this passionate. <laughs> like, I, I definitely have, like, my own proclivities, like, towards, like, violence and, you know, wanting to, like, feel, um, you know, destroyed by, you know, beauty and affection and love. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want mm-hmm. some, you know, sensation that's so enormous that it doesn't end with, um, you know, orgasm or something, but, like, actually, like, uh, questions if I'm going to make it out to live another day <laughs> like i want to like ha- be so crushed by feeling that it like breaks my my life apart yeah yeah i mean me too it's just that's not something that you can just ask for no you can't just ask somebody to like slowly kill you and gradual steps over time even though like that's really all i think i want at the end of the day mm-hmm Right. Is that love, or is that, like, uh, some, like, bizarre fixation, I wonder? <laughs> it's a combination of the, of the two, I think. Yeah, I, I think it must be. But it's, like, I think that what they feel for each other is, is love. And it's so interesting because it's uh, not a love you see depicted in, like, any other movie. This is the only thing I've ever seen that, like, shows, like, so wholesomely and as like a complete picture like their love being genuine and convincing on behalf of them just being so fully wrapped up with one another sexually only yeah no nothing else like it definitely not and do you think that the movie like depicts them as like like really like loving each other like in that sense like really like loving one another i do yeah i do think that i do too Um, yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think because if you're like if you're obsessed with each other, you know, you would think that if they didn't love each other, like they would be fighting, you know. But they really they don't have like any kind of disagreements or or anything. Uh, they they don't harbor any animosity toward each other. Okay. They don't. They don't. Uh, you know, they don't have a private life, so they couldn't. They couldn't lie. Yeah. It's just merely a relationship entirely like constructed out of a like pure driving obsession and desire for someone else. And yeah, yeah that's 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 like the fairy tale quality of it. Yeah. I mean it really is because you just go and like sit with them in these rooms. I, I could like leave this movie like on like forever, just like watching them like get entangled with each other over and over again in these like mm-hmm. luxurious tatami rooms it feels like so i mean it's very like ukiyo-e like the japanese like style of like woodblock prints uh the floating world where it's like looking uh down from above and like showing uh the world and these like kind of uh you know abstract depictions of society i, I feel like mm. it's very like that and it feels almost like cosmic and just how close it gets to to their relationship yeah. Have you ever yeah, felt no, it's, this there's... way about someone? <laughs> it's what I've been wanting to ask the whole time. Um, you know, if I if I did, it just didn't, because I've never had a long term relationship. So okay. it was just, I mean, I could say yes, I felt this way, but would would. Uh, 
I couldn't, I guess I couldn't say what the extent of the obsession would be. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. how, how that would manifest itself. I mean, having sex, sure. But like all the time and that, that, that it would uh, provoke the kind of desire to, to like just totally control, not control their life, but have it revolve around me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say since I don't have, you know, the that amount of experience. I feel like I have uh, experienced this like level of obsession, I think twice before. Mm -hmm. And in both situations, I like wish it had ended in my death. Like I wish that it all like climaxed there. And maybe that is a, not what this movie is trying to tell me. Maybe I'm like <laughs> reading it in the exact like opposite way, but like those like moments of uh, my life that were just, you know, like the nonstop like uh, sexual obsession, just like stopping and starting over and over again as you like lay about uh, with one another mm -hmm. for an extended yeah. period of time. Uh, I, I feel like that's like the pinnacle of like my human existence. Like what else is there? I wish I had just expired right then. Wow. So, okay. So since it didn't end in your death, did it just, did it just get stale? Um, for one of them, I, it went on for quite a while and then, mm -hmm. uh, he was bisexual and he lost interest in, in men. He said, he said oh. it, it happens to him from time to time. Huh? And he said, he just lost interest in it. Uh, and that, that was horrific for me. And I like, didn't get over oh, it. Yeah. Like, that was the you worst thing. <laughs> like, I was like you, mentally unwell for about a year. <laughs> yeah. You might as well have died. I know. I, I mean, he like crushed, uh, he crushed something like deep in my spirit that will probably never be recovered completely. Um, and the other one was a little more simple, which is it just wasn't practical because, uh, you know, I was cross-dressing the whole time. <laughs> it like, went on oh, for like a right, week. Right, and I mean, right. that wasn't unless I had died there, which would have also been preferable. Um, that wasn't going to go anywhere either. Hmm. Wow. Now he's married. Really? Mm hmm. So to a cross-dresser? To a woman, <laughs> to a cisgender oh. woman. <laughs> now my tweets from last night are like looking like uh, a little vindictive, but I swear I'm just kidding. I swear. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't read them as vindictive. Thank you. I mean, what is to be done? Like, if I'm not, is this the purpose of life? I wonder. Is it to like so fully actualize your inner emotional realm that it like ruins and destroys and like detonates your own existence i just feel so stuck in that idea not for everybody but for for a select few i do think so what a for curse people. to have on my shoulders oh yeah it's a curse that's for sure because i mentioned this earlier like once you've tasted it you know even just a little bit it's all over like you're never gonna <laughs> you're you're always going to remember like what had happened and what is possible on this plane of existence and uh yep. you're cursed with the seed of knowledge yep and even if you know you never you or even if you move on you're still going to be just comparing it to that your life i mean is anything less than that equivalent to love hmm 
No, okay, that's a good question. <laughs> There's no questions that I can't answer, but I, I can't think, either. Uh, but yeah, that's that's something to think about. That's what's and, good about the. That's what's good about movies is they ask questions. For, <laughs> can't rather, be answered. You, yeah, have you have you asked yourself questions that you can't really answer? I have to wonder. Um, it seems to me that there might be like a practical love that is like useful for a, a social purpose. It's like uh, mm -hmm. mutually beneficial and is uh, empowering for two people and does good things. Uh, yeah. I can't yeah, say I'm especially excited about that. Yeah, no, because this is definitely an antisocial behavior. Um, mm -hmm. The only people that, you know, it, it attracted were other freaks. Gay people. <laughs> Gay people are trying to do in the realm of the senses every day in the bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to stretch their whole life out to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like insatiable. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Have, have people watch and then, you know, participate later on. Oh, God. I mean, like, the tatami room thing with, like, those, you know, the straw floors or whatever. It mm -hmm. is exactly, like, the biggest bathhouse in, in Tokyo um, is uh, in the gay district. And you go into a room that's divided by curtains and the lights are out. But, it, you know, the lights from the hallway kind of pool in. And it's uh -huh. a bunch of, like, elevated tatami mats with, like, mattresses on them. And it literally, like, felt like some sort of, like, Brechtian recreation of the sets wow. in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, like, it's a bunch of people doing this. Yeah, there's, you know, just, like, eight people, like, strung out with, like, one another is, you know, anything you can imagine is happening directly before you. Wow. In the realm of the senses. River from 2002 is one of my all-time favorite pop albums and uh, especially 
important record in the development of my uh, artistic sense of self. Uh, this is by Utari Hikaru. It's her third album and uh, was one of the most uh, high-selling albums ever released at the time. I believe currently it's uh, still the eighth highest uh, sold Japanese record ever. Uh, Utara was mostly known for uh, two very uh, simple and uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say basic, but or formulaic, but certainly um, a little bit more palatable R&B music. Uh, however, on this record, uh, for the first time, she took up um, more artistic license and produced most of the record um, with herself. She arranged every song uh, on the album, and at a very young age, I think she was uh, just in her early 20s, uh, she has produced one of the most enticing and fully felt records about the heart ever released. And um, previously, I've talked about her album Hatsukoi, I've talked about Exodus, and uh, I'm very happy to continue uh, going through her discography. Uh, but Zane, please tell me about what your initial impressions were. You told me a little bit about your, your first listen, but what, what, what were you feeling going through this record? So yeah, like the, like I said, the first time I listened to this, it just it did nothing for me. It did not penetrate at all. And then when I heard Simple and Clean, it all clicked and started from the very beginning again. Um, <clears throat> Sakura, when that fir- when the first song starts, it's uh, so this came out in two thousand two, right? Mm-hmm. This song uh, kind of. Um, have you heard the song? Uh, do you know the song "Blurry" by Puddle of Mud? I don't. No, are you? You'd know it if you heard it. Okay. Um, but it's like this. It's like a ballad, like a post-grunge ballad, uh, and it's it kind of sounds like that. So I see where um, you know she has like a plethora of influences, like a lot of different stuff is going on here, and mm-hmm. it's amazing that she was like you know early 20 or like like 19 or 20 or something when this yeah. uh, when, when this came out insane um, she was uh, i just did the math she was 19 yeah she was 19 yeah crazy crazy i mean you don't even have to know what she's saying you don't have to speak japanese to get it either i mean reading the translations after helps sure but uh I mean, you you have to listen to it. And um, it's so hard for me to talk about music. I feel like it speaks, it stands on its own, you know? It is challenging to talk about music, and I've been doing it a lot lately. (laughs) Um, You have, yeah. I mean, I think it is um, exactly right that, you know, this is so phenomenal for her being merely, like, 19 years old and uh it's especially interesting because uh, she always wrote um about her earlier music like up until this album that she was always writing about her like fantasy of what love might actually be like uh, without Mm -hmm. having like really known it herself Uh, however around the release of this album she married her uh first husband who um is uh 
his name is uh, what is it? Kazuaki Kiriya, and he yeah, uh, was the a, director. The director. He's an older Japanese man. Uh, I think like sixteen years older than her. And uh, he did all of the art direction for this record. He directed all of the music videos. He shot the photographs. And you can really feel in these songs that um, for the first time, she's really like plunging her hand into like the actual uh, realm of the senses, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like she... I don't want to say she's an old soul, but it's like she's an alien almost. And I agree. Just, has the, has these abilities that aren't that aren't uh, I mean that are very human but beyond her age. Yeah, I mean, she, like like an alien is exactly how I feel about her too. Because basically, all of her music has this uncanny approach to depicting human emotion that's so enticingly specific and these like images that feel uh extremely idiosyncratic like nothing else is exactly like like this that um it really does feel like an outsider trying to make sense out of this bizarre world we're in but the sort of piece that she puts together from all of those strange things she's observing is like the most spitting image of what it means to feel love that I can think of, honestly. Yeah. She's like the female version of the man who fell to earth. Not that, not David <laughs> yes. Bowie, but like, you know, like the, uh, a person who's very troubled, but, uh, is, is still doing these amazing things that, uh, that, expresses the way that the human feels yeah no totally um and like you said even if you don't speak japanese or understand like what's going on even if you're not reading the translations you still get that enormous like sense from the way that this album is uh, arranged and, and produced and it is a very bizarre melting pot of different influences there's like kind of like more guitar oriented rock music there is um like spanish guitars uh there's yes. ethereal pop everywhere and uh i think that one of the main reasons why this album sounds the way it does is because the year previous uh utada had gone and seen uh madonna's drowned world tour in 2001 mm. and i can definitely feel like those that album and this one like feel very much like siblings to me. Okay. See, I'm not very well versed in Madonna. My mom always hated her. So that was just kind of like a blank spot for me. <laughs> yeah, there, I, uh, the mother who hates Madonna is a, is a common figure in the world. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, but if you do go through and read the translated lyrics, which is one of my favorite things to yeah. do for J-pop and something uh, I've always really believed in, like, sitting down with a record with liner notes. Um, I, I was talking about this on TPN when uh, we talked about Tusk last year. And one of my favorite experiences with that record was playing it on vinyl and um, going through the enormous, like, uh, uh, record, like, paper slip-ins and going through the lyrics and i was so glad to see that you got a physical copy of this yeah i've got it in my hand right now and the liner notes it's i mean it's it's all in japanese so there's not really any liner notes but 
um, it's it's a really like heavy duty glossy um, paper. Do you do you have the CD? I do have the CD. I've bought the CD three times because I left a copy <laughs> of Deep River in um in accidentally in my ex boyfriend's car, uh, <laughs> which is the same boyfriend who puked after in the oh, realm of the senses. Man. So and Deep River is just sitting there. He never gave it back, so I bought another one. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's got really. Uh, so you you said that uh, her husband did the uh, the art direction for mm-hmm. the for the album. That's right. Yeah, something I like about all of her um, all of her albums and kind of adds to her alien qualities is that um, while none of these pictures are like ugly or or depict her like as as. Uh, I don't know. They're just really vulnerable portraits. Like a lot of this is un- like I don't want to say untouched, but you can see on the back, um, she's clearly got some kind of acne or something on her eyebrows. Yeah, and yeah, she just she makes herself look really. Um, I don't know. It's it's to me it just looks like an alien staring at you on the front cover. Yeah, this, like, harsh black and white photo, like you said, that where you can, like, see, like, lines on her face and, like, indentations and, like, uh, like acne marks of, of some kind. Um, wow. And she's just staring directly yeah. into you. It's really got, intimidating. Like, she's got, like, three or four album covers like this. Yeah, all of her covers, um, up until Bad Mode... Um, at least for her Japanese releases, are these, like, Bjork kind of uh, portraits of her. Yeah, um, yeah. The Bad Mode cover is, like, beautiful, too, because it has, like, her son, like, blurry in the distance, and it it, it, it makes sense. But I am yeah, so yeah. obsessed with these images in the, um, in the, uh, the liner notes with these, like, harsh, like, black and white uh, photographs, like, I'm obsessed with uh, the like black face like foot that's extended and yes, feels like so foot. yeah it's like so cursed and like dark yeah and like it's just it's her leg but it's not feminine at all I don't think it just looks like a I don't know like like a beggar's foot you know mm-hmm. <laughs> she's got like a lump on her heel I know like it's it, it feels really bold of her to to do like yeah. this especially for like um Usari Hikaru who is was at the time probably the most uh successful and uh beloved singer in Japanese pop music um like everyone was fascinated by her uh she had just released the best selling album of Japanese history D- of uh First Love and uh, here it is with her looking like ridden with acne and like staring at you con- like confrontationally these like dark images of her feet and like her shoulders that she's clutching i mean yeah. it really the album sounds like quite bright and is like very jubilant and, like full of like uh you know moving life but these pictures really throw it into contrast yeah she's wearing like a toga or something it's just not very it's not very glamorous no. People always, uh, in Japanese, uh, the <clears throat> Japanese reception of her 
she, they've always kind of viewed her a little bit as an outcast and more of like a singer songwriter than a pop star. So these like anti glamorous mm. images make sense. But uh, in some of the promo images that they released of this too, there's a lot of like black and white photos of her like walking around like trash and like cement walls and like sitting on the street with like her heels out and. Uh, I don't know. I feel like she just really has some sort of uh, like precognizance that like this is like what the album like truly is. It's like these like harsh, strange images of humanity. Yes, harsh and strange. That's that's those are the words that I would use to describe it. And then the music videos are almost exactly the opposite. Oh yeah, uh, the Sakura video is uh, like the editing is so just vibrant and uh lively yeah the kind of um piece that like takes most of these together is that um her husband does like these crazy like green screen like way too much going on like overflowing vibrant videos um with like sakura drops has all of these like cgi like flowers like falling everywhere like in her Mm -hmm. dressed in like traditional monk clothes from like the 16th century yeah um the the link that you gave me for that video i don't know if it's ever been remastered or whatever but it's all like pixelated and uh it's just it, it's very 2002. Yeah, it's a kind of ugly for real. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it like looks like a little atrocious, like when the butterflies are flying off the uh-huh. trees and stuff. Um, <laughs> the wonderful thing about Japanese music is that, you know, they give you these luxurious items. And uh, with every single single that they release, they include a DVD with it as well. So... If I ever can get my hands on a Sakura Drops like DVD, I'm sure the video would look beautiful. But the one they right. dumped onto YouTube is looks like crap. Yeah. <laughs> the only uh, single from this album I have is uh, "Be My Last." Um, be my last. Which one is that? Oh which, wait, what actually, that's from Colors. So that's from her I was next album. Say, actually, yeah, sorry, I that's that from her other one. So I don't have any <laughs> singles from this record. Um, but however, I would love to get them. They're, they're all so beautiful, but yeah, like these like crazy CGI videos, um, you would never imagine, uh, not knowing Japanese, like what she's, uh, singing about, but Sakura drops in. No idea. No idea. But these lyrics, I, I, I'm glad you got to read them. I think they're really special. They are. Yeah. I wish that, um, I wish I could actually like you know follow them along with with the music like uh-huh. if there was like you know like they have karaoke where the the words will be highlighted when it's when it's at that part but reading them on their own i mean they're they're pretty cool uh the summer rain that began to fall passed right along my tear glided ever so smoothly images that overlap with memories reruns of an autumn tv drama yeah uh, she sings a lot about tvs I don't know if you mm-hmm. noticed this, but she yeah, like she does. She has a kind of an ambient like uh, horror about like all of these images that she's being like uh, assaulted with, and are like reforming her own uh, like consciousness as she's thinking about love, like just the mm-hmm. commercials and the flickering light of a TV, like reordering like the way she feels about this mysterious man she keeps singing about. 
yeah getting in a taxi cab and and uh, daydreaming about him oh god i mean the way that she describes longing here just feels so real to me like i don't know exactly what quality it, it is but like the awkward images just really like sing to my heart about exactly how i feel when i want someone i can't have carry a love for someone mark its end and swear today is the first good day in quotes yeah oh god it's just so good it's like actual poetry like i'm like happy to like uh, read these even without the music but um what were some of the songs that like uh you felt most uh, touched by um sakura drops for sure uh-huh um I mean, I think I th- honestly, I think "Letters" is probably my favorite song. On That's here. My, maybe my favorite song of her ever. Really, it's either oh, that man. or maybe like "Somewhere Near Marseille" at this point. Um, but I okay. think, yeah, I think "Letters" is completely genius. Yeah, "Letters" is crazy. I mean, that's uh, I'm sure. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether she does coke or not, but that is a one coked out song. It is. It's this schizophrenic Spanish guitar as like she is like screaming the lyrics basically like in the middle and she's like really like emoting for um as much as she can possibly give. And uh, Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just like a constant crescendo. It just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's man. Um and it's just got that that repeating arpeggio of the guitar, and then uh, it's is it on piano too? Yeah, right? I think it is too. Yeah, yeah, uh, just a fun song. Yeah, and it's a uh, really beautiful to the lyrics here. Uh, on the sky in two hands, to the storm in the heart, farewell to you. On this seashore, a letter is always left, even in dreams, even over the phone. I want to hear your voice. You oh. not being good at connecting or always a letter lying around this like seems like a sort of like the inverse almost of like the pure passion of in the realm of the senses like she has like um uh this dread about the daily life that like keeps reducing um her possible passions like into these like disastrous little images you know yeah and it makes it seem like everything is just you know so one-sided that uh, whoever it is is just not giving her the time of day. Yeah, and it's especially true on uh, like "Simple and Clean" and "Hikari," which has um, mm-hmm. uh, the English lyric is really famous uh, when she's like, "But does that uh, mean does I have that to mean meet I have your... to meet your father?" Yeah. Right, which <laughs> makes like no sense in English, <laughs> like, but it it like, totally does. It's like um, once again these enormous passions and like the whole like rivers of humanity pooling at once like being reduced to an awkward interaction with your lover's father yeah yeah see okay i i i guess i misunderstood that song when i first heard it because i thought she was saying that part from the man's perspective no that's like, right the, you're he, right he, the... he, he he doesn't like just isn't interested in in you know performing like I don't know the, the normal stuff I would think of like meeting their parents. He's just like, do I have to meet your father? 
Yeah, that's a, it, it's the the male figure saying that to her. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, you had it exactly right. And I love the music video for this too, um, which is a, a, a big classic of her because it's just her sitting or standing at a, a sink washing the dishes. Yes, yes, and she's just like singing along to it. Oh man, I thought that was awesome. Doesn't this song like kind of like rile you up to be alive? It does. Uh, yeah. No, I, I would just have it on repeat uh, when I was when I was at the uh, the home stretch of my route. The light that is you finds me in the middle of the night. Mm. And she Turn also the writes, TV off and just look at me. And just look at me. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, she feels uh, these extraordinary emotions and is just, like, desperately fighting to um, make them real. I feel like, you know, in comparison to In the Realm of the Senses, this is, like, a record about, like, you know, it's not the, the kind of fantasy and fairy tale of that movie where people can just actualize that passion. Uh, this is, like, the real-world album of, like, being unable to do that because of all of this monotony placed on top of us yeah uh, i yeah. love her I, I just like i just like love me sitting too, around listening Zach. to these me <laughs> too i, I can't, can't thank you enough for for illuminating this for sh- for sharing her with the world but the fact is it's like it is so shocking to me like i used to be so obsessed with this album i would play it like nobody like understood like what i like what it was that like attached me like <laughs> so dearly to her and i'm right my podcast and like all of this like means something because i was at least able for one person able to successfully introduce them to utada hikaru <laughs> yeah man you got me hooked um how old were you when you first started listening to her so i was originally interested in her um, because I actually <coughs> heard one of her English songs on VH1 because I used to go to school right. in the mornings and like my dad and I would like have cereal and whatever and um, oh, yeah, yeah. watch the MTV and uh, VH1 like early morning music videos and one of her songs from Exodus, uh, Easy Breezy <laughs> was on and I was really puzzled by it because it has that stupid lyric I'm Easy Breezy uh, and you're Japanesey, um, <laughs> which was like so confounding to me, and I, I became really interested in her. And when I finally listened to like Exodus, like all the way through after like pirating it from an MP3 site, I was like blown away by like how brazen and weird it was. And uh, from there, like uh, I guess I was like fourteen, fifteen at the time, thirteen maybe, and. Uh, in high school, I decided it wasn't cool to like Japanese stuff anymore, so I like tried to like distance myself from it. Uh, but then I, I relapsed oh. when I know it was, what a waste of time. I could have been studying Japanese <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> but then she released her comeback album after um, her mother killed herself. Uh, Keiko Fuji, who yeah. was an Anka singer, uh, really violently mm-hmm. killed herself, and uh, she released her comeback album Phantom, which was like dedicated to the memory of her mother and that really touched me and like sent me all the way back in. Okay. Interesting. Man, I had no idea they were playing that kind of thing on VH1. That was her only song that ever made any noise and it was the beginning and end of her career in America. And it's so funny to see like now that the world is like a little bit more like globalized and honestly like because of K-pop, there's like 
enough room in like music uh culture that like Utada was like interviewed on um like what's that guy's show? Zane Lowe. Oh really? Yeah, BBC B BB yeah, yeah. one DJ guy. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever yeah. that is. They like interviewed uh-huh. her there. They reviewed the album in Pitchfork, like Yeah. Gave it a really good review. Yeah, the review is really funny too, because it's all about her um non binary gender identity. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it was What do like, you make of that? Um Utada is a very special soul. Like you yeah, said. She's she, an alien. So she's it an makes alien. Sense. Like, she, um, also, like, about ten years ago, was, like, trying to convince people she was bisexual while she was, like, getting knocked up by the Italian, and, um... <laughs> right. The bartender. That's right. The bartender who people uh, imagined, like, a just was using her as, like, a money bag, but... <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> which I can totally believe. She gets... She's, she's very easily carried away, and she's very dramatic, this little girl... So, mm-hmm. of course, like, she would think she's non-binary because she's such a special alien soul and, like, she needs, like, a, a special way to describe herself. <laughs> yeah. And she uses the best <laughs> pronouns. She uses she, they, so I don't have to call her they. Right. Yeah, I was, I, I didn't, I didn't know which pronoun she used, but that's good. Because You'll I notice that, that is one, I really wanted to, you know, pay my respects and say whatever she wanted me to say but she says she they so we're good because i really don't want to have to say they and (laughs) yeah me neither (laughs) a bunch of crazy people on the internet like went through like so much of her wikipedia content and like other um like j-pop like figures and like changed all the pronouns to they and now it's like confusing to read (sighs) wow so (laughs) I'm, like, spurging out about this. I've been waiting to, like, scream about Utada again for months. Scream. So, um, for, for Japanese pronouns, is it, is it, like, really, really complicated? Like, more so than English when people say, you know, they or whatever? No, it's Change their pronouns to they? Kare and kanojo. So, kare is for men and kanojo is for women. Kanojo also can mean girlfriend, which is funny. They use the same Hmm. kanji, so... Whenever you call a girl without using her name, you, uh, you're calling her girlfriend, basically. (laughs) But, um, it's, uh, it's not disrespectful, but it's more likely that people will just use the name in place of a pronoun. So, uh, it doesn't really come up very often. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, sometimes it's a little faster, so I, I end up, as an English speaker, I do, like, rely on it because it's easy, but, um... Yeah, it's, it's mostly you just use the person's name, so. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so thinking about um, this beautiful record, Deep River, um, and In the Realm of the Senses, as we've thought about the pursuit of passion and the chains of modern life and the ecstasy of breaking those or acknowledging them, uh, what do you think we should take from uh, these two depictions of love into my new world? <laughs> into your new world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that we need to always try to aspire to find uh, find what it is that we want, first of all, whether 
you know, decide whether you want that, that level of obsession since, you know, we're all kind of struggling to define love and yeah, f figure out that if that's what you really want mm -hmm. and then try to find it. And then with regards to the album, I mean, this level of, of this, this uh, the, the type of longing that she describes, it's painful, but more painful to um, to not have any longing at all. I don't know. No, I think you're you have it exactly down pat. And I was just thinking the same thing because, um, you know, dreaming of you know, the ideal love and actualizing your desires. Like, of course, it's like a horrifying, painful, you know, experience. But mm -hmm. what what Utada is so incredible at is that with every song and every album, she is uh, taking that pain in one hand and like squeezing it out for all the ecstasy possible. And yeah. she makes like the pursuit of, uh, you know, truly feeling your emotions and, and surrendering to them entirely. She really like recognizes the sublimity in that. Yes, she really does. And it's like, of course, like I feel like these like chains and I'm like, wow, like sometimes I like wish I had like just died at the hands of one of those men. But, um, you know, I, I get to still be on earth and experience that like tragic uh, longing for what couldn't have been. And I think that's uh, beautiful too. I just have to figure out a way to present it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Life to me is just like the repetition and the, the passion that crescendos of letters just over and over again, the highs and the lows. <laughs> Jesus 